This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. Today, it's just me, so no guests today, but I did want to talk about uh, a topic that I think is pretty important today. You know, it's about mid-February right now, time of recording, 2024. You probably, at this point, have heard, or maybe this is news to you, that on January 1, 2026, unless there's a change in the law, then the so-called Trump tax cuts uh, are going to sunset as it relates to individuals, I should say. Um, the individual provisions will sunset on that day and go away and revert back to what they were in 2017. One of those provisions is the estate tax, gift tax, generation skipping transfer tax exemption amount, the so-called basic exclusion amount. If you're talking in terms of the estate tax, the lifetime exemption amount, if you're talking in terms of the gift tax, they're all the same numbers. So that's pretty easy to, to track. So there's not a lot of confusion there. And it's indexed for inflation beginning in 2018, which had a base number of 10 million. And as of today, the, the inflation adjusted number is 13.61 million per person, meaning you can die with 13.61 million of worldwide assets if you're a U.S. citizen or resident, and you pay no estate tax at death. If you die with a million more than the estate tax on the federal level is roughly a 40% tax. So 40% of a million is about $400,000. So somebody writes a check for $400,000 to pay your estate tax if you die with a million dollars more than your exemption amount, and you don't have any other deductions to offset that extra amount. So that's sort of the very, very high level view of this particular part of the world. I want to twist it though, because of course it's important for U.S. residents uh, and citizens, because if they are somewhere between what the exemption is today and half of that number in 2026, they are dancing a very strange dance. They're sort of hoping that Congress will change the rules and save them in 2026 or beyond. There's no certainty that that will happen. We will see what happens in the 2024 elections, of course, and maybe that will give us some idea. But there's another group of people who I think might even have a slightly more uh, precarious situation, or maybe even a, a surprisingly precarious situation, and that is a non-resident, non-citizen who owns property in the U.S. but lives in a country that has an estate tax treaty with the U.S. There aren't that many. There, I think, I think the total count when you count all of them is 17 worldwide. So that's not very many countries where you could be from and there be an estate tax treaty. As a general proposition, I'm speaking sort of generally because you kind of have to look at each individual treaty one by one to see what their specific terms are. But as a general proposition, what those treaties say is if you're a resident of one of those countries and you own property here so that you're subject to estate tax here in the U.S., we will afford you a portion of the estate tax exemption or basic exclusion amount that is a ratio calculated by the value of the assets located here over the value of your worldwide assets. So if if uh, one third of your assets are in the US 
and your and your uh, estate tax exemption, for example, is ten million, then you would get you would get a three million three hundred thirty three thousand three hundred thirty three dollar exemption against your U.S. estate tax. Uh, because you'd have this ratio of one over three. So that would spit out that that result for you. So that's pretty easy math. And for the most part, that can serve as a, a pretty handy way to uh, shelter estate tax. And it does shelter estate tax, especially where the worldwide est- uh, estate of the person is, is the same or under the total basic exclusion amount or gift tax lifetime exemption amount in the U.S. for U.S. citizens. But when those worldwide numbers are more than these exemption amounts, then you can you can step into the same hole as a, a U.S. citizen where you don't actually have enough exemption in the U.S. to cover your estate tax. So this is going to be a bit of a surprise, I think, for non-resident, non-citizens, um, who have property here. So a really, really common scenario, and um, th- this is like this, this is like pretty typical, okay? Pretty, pretty typical. So let's say that someone uh, is from Canada, our fun neighbors to the north, and they own a, a piece of real estate in the U.S., right? Really common. Say it's in Florida or uh, Palm Springs, California, or Scottsdale, Arizona, or, you know, somewhere nice and warm. Texas, who knows? Uh, Wherever it is, wherever the Canadians go, and they sort of go all over, but wherever they go, they like to buy vacation rentals or vacation homes in in the U.S. So nothing is wrong there. They've done nothing wrong at that point. And we have a treaty with Canada, actually it's in our income tax treaty, that has estate tax provisions, a la what I'm describing with this ratio. So let's assume that their property in the U.S. is worth a million dollars, okay? A million dollars. And they have a $8 million worldwide estate. So a million is here, 8 million worldwide. So one of the 8 million is here in the U.S. and it's just their vacation home in some very nice, warm, sunny place. So again, nothing wrong there. Under the current exemption numbers, they're completely covered, okay? Because one divided by eight times 13.16 million spits out an exemption in the U.S. from a state tax of 1.7 million. So they have 1.7 million of exemption against the state tax in the U.S., but they have a property that's only worth a million, so they're well covered by $700,000 of exemption. So no issue there. But let's assume that in 2026, that number is going to drop by half, but there's going to be some inflation adjustment so that it is 7 million in 2026. Well, all of a sudden, because that that base number dropped from what is currently 13.61 million down to 7 million, the ratio no longer covers them for estate tax in the U.S. because the ratio of 1 over 8 times 7 million spits out a number that is 875,000. And of course, 875,000 is less than a million. And therefore, if they died at that moment, they would have a state tax on the excess amount, the $125,000 above the $875,000 exemption that they had in the U.S. Again, assuming they don't have any other um, deductions to use to, to offset that estate tax. So that can be a pretty dramatic result, and I, I guess you could say traumatic result for non-Americans because they become very subject to uh, the U.S. tax system. Not system, not not only because they have to file a tax return, which they would need to do to claim the benefits under the treaty anyways, but because now they actually have to write a check and pay it to the U.S. government. And they may have never really wanted to pay taxes to the U.S. government. And in fact, they actually haven't done anything that has caused some sort of taxable event 
other than dying. And in this in this hypothetical that I've given you, the only thing that they really have done is died in the wrong year. But that doesn't change the fact that the estate tax would be due. So I, I do think even for non-resident, non-citizens of the U.S. who happen to own property here, who have a treaty that they're relying on currently, they also have to re-examine what they're doing now, how they're holding title to property, and what they should do in the future to plan for the very likely or real possibility that the exemptions will actually go down in 2026 and not rely specifically on legislative grace coming out of Congress to save them. It is, of course, a similar story for anyone who is a U.S. resident or U.S. citizen who has a very healthy estate that, say, is more than $7 million per person. Again, if we assume that in 2026, the exemption number will be $7 million adjusted for inflation, I don't know what it will be. Nobody knows. But if you just sort of make that assumption, anybody who has a net worth of $7 million or more, they have to be considering what they should be doing now before the exemptions go down and going forward after that, assuming that they won't have the extra estate tax exemption in 2026 moving forward, because again, but for legislative grace, they are going to fall into that trap. And and the only thing that could happen that would generate an estate tax could be that they die in the wrong year. You know, they didn't really do anything wrong. They just died in the wrong year. One year they didn't have the exemption. If they had died a year earlier, say 2025, they would have had plenty of exemption to cover them. So a lot of people, not just Americans, even non-residents, non-citizens who own property here but are living in these uh, estate tax treaty jurisdictions need to be thinking about this change in the law. And it turns out, especially when it comes to the estate tax, it's true of the gift tax too, but especially when it comes to the estate tax, that the planning really has to be done on a chronology that is long-term, okay? So you have to think in terms of decades, not in terms of a year or two. Yes, there can be factors to consider, like within the next few years, uh, somebody could be sick, you could have a change in the law, or at least a, a change in the law on paper, like we have here with the, the Trump tax cuts that are going away in 2026. So you can have those sorts of things that are more like short-term, but the real value of the planning is almost always long-term, decades long, because what happens with the estate tax is when you move something from your hands to a family member's hands, for example, and when it's in the family member's hands, or maybe even better, in a trust for the family member, you don't pay estate tax on it. To the extent that that asset or that property increases in value outside of your hands, if you would have kept it, you would pay a state tax on that increased value as well. So all of that increase in value is being sheltered from tax and saving you tax. And of course, normal economic principles, they apply even in families, turns out. They just apply. So the longer something has to appreciate, to compound, to accumulate, the greater its value is going to be in the future. And you can you can sort of view that in the reverse too. If something has uh, a higher value in the future, its current value is going to be less because there's appreciation assumed in its future value from its value today. So if I invested a dollar and I earned 5% on that dollar today, of course, it's going to be worth more in the future than just, just today, even though it's just a dollar today. And so you kind of have to look at it that way. Over decades, that can be a substantial amount of accumulation and growth and a substantial amount of estate tax savings. And that kind of thinking and that kind of planning is, is necessary, certainly necessary for 
U.S. residents and citizens because they are exposed to estate tax on their worldwide estates. But it's even important for non-citizen, non-residents who live in these jurisdictions that have estate tax treaties with the U.S. Places that have estate tax treaties with the U.S. are pretty much developed economies, Western European economies, and Japan. And so that's that's a pretty easy rule of thumb, although you really have to look at the list to double check <laughs> country by country to make sure there is one. But places like the UK and France and Germany and Japan, they all have estate tax treaties with the US. The treaties are all slightly different. Uh, they all have their own little nuances to them, so you can never assume one is the same as the other, but those sorts of jurisdictions have them. Of course, if there are only 17 estate tax treaties, that means there are many countries that don't have an estate tax treaty with the U.S., and so for people from those countries who own property in the U.S., they have no relief at all from the estate tax from some treaty provision. So they don't get a pro rata share or a ratio share of the U.S. exemption amount for citizens and uh, residents. And it's a pretty easy way to figure out who those people are. If you imagine this, everything south of the U.S. border, no treaties, no relief. Everything in Africa, no real relief, although we have a treaty with uh, with uh, South Africa. Um, most of Southern Europe, no relief. And most of Asia, no relief whatsoever. Japan being an outlier. And actually, the, the, the treaty with Japan is very new. So there are some pretty big players in there in the U.S. market. I mean, Latin America is an enormous uh, player and investor in the U.S. market. Obviously, China is a huge investor in the U.S. market. Um, Southeast Asia, even outside of China, huge investor in the U.S. market. So these and and Africa as well. Uh, you know, there are fairly wealthy countries in Africa that are heavy investors in the U.S. Think of places like uh, Nigeria, uh, Egypt, uh, Morocco, South Africa, which I mentioned, of course. So a lot of these sorts of countries, um, they have heavy investments in the U.S., certainly relative to their the size of their economies and, and their populations, they have heavy investments in the U.S., but they don't have any treaty relief. So for those people, actually, the the risk just sort of continues on because if they own property in the U.S. that's worth more than $60,000 U.S. when they die, they have to pay a state tax and there's no treaty relief. So for those people, sort of the, the rules of the road are going to remain the same regardless of what happens in 2026. However, for the more narrow group of U.S. citizens, U.S. residents, and then non-U.S. citizens, non-residents who live in these estate tax treaty uh, countries, they really need to be knuckling down and thinking very carefully about how to do some planning, how to plan flexibly, assuming that things could change in 2026, but for the grace of Congress, and then trying to take steps now where they may be able to mitigate or reduce or eliminate that risk should it come to pass in 2026. And then, of course, trying to do it in a flexible way. So if, if things change in 2026 in a way that you weren't expecting, you you have a way to kind of replan and, and remove the pieces on the chessboard, if you think of it that way. All right. Well, that's what I, I wanted to share just to sort of put that seed in your mind. So so you're thinking about it. Should you see uh, circumstances that arise in your own practice or families or friends, etc. So you at least are apprised of this issue and, and have it in mind because we are getting very close to 2026. So we are as close to 2026 today as we are to April 4th, 2024, or sorry, 2022. So less than two years away. And frankly, 2022 feels like it was yesterday to me. I mean, time has just 
flown by last year was almost it was just like a breeze it was like a blink and it was gone so i have no illusions thinking at least for myself that 2026 is will be upon me very quickly and i'm sure everybody's the same because everybody's busy and and uh, things tend to move very quickly so we're very close to 2026 so these issues need to be addressed uh, now and quickly and you really shouldn't be waiting on it there's no reason to wait you should just start working on it now for you or your friends or your family or clients etc all right i'll leave it there thank you so much for uh, listening, participating. I hope you're enjoying the podcast in general. I hope it's bringing you value. Uh, I enjoy doing it. I'm glad that I get to have fun conversations with other smart people that I learn a lot from in doing the podcast. Uh, and if you're not liking it, just remember it is free. So I do it for free. <laughs> I kid, of course. Uh, if you don't like it, I, you know, hopefully you'll find a podcast that you really enjoy. But if you are enjoying it, uh, thank you. And uh, if you think there are ways that it can improve, reach out to me. Let me know if you think there are topics that we should cover. Reach out to me. Let me know. Uh, I'm happy to try to accommodate those sorts of requests. Thanks so much. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.